Well, thank you for that introduction, uh, Pastor Ben, and also the video. It talks about the fact that God loves you. And as Pastor mentioned at the beginning of the service, uh, the theme of the sermon and the service today is that God is on our side. We'll be taking a look at that and talk about what that means to us in our daily lives. When I was a kid, I loved sports. I loved playing any kind of sport that there is. Uh, hockey, soccer, baseball, basketball, football, whatever it might be, I love competing. And my friends that I was um, hung out with also enjoyed sports. And a lot of times as we played sports, you would choose up sides, right? And as you choose up sides to see whose team, is, uh, whose team you're on and who else is playing with you, one of the things that was always encouraging is if you, if you had the biggest kid, the fastest kid, the most athletic kid on your side, because then your confidence in being successful and winning would rise that much more quickly. Or if somebody's big brother showed up and you had him on your team, or somebody's dad played along, then you knew things are going to go well for you. And that's true, I think, not just in pickup sports like I played when I was young, but it's true in different games that you might enjoy playing. Maybe your family, when you get together, likes to do card games or board games. Or you play, play a trivia contest, something like that. And it's always nice to know, as if you're competitive, it's always nice to know that you've got a ringer on your side, somebody who can help you. Or even, you know, if you're, it's not just team games, it might be projects. If you've got an important project to do at work, or you're working on a specific project at home, maybe you're tearing down your deck and putting on a new one, it's nice to know if you've got somebody on your side who can help you. Somebody who is experienced and skilled at that particular thing, it's always nice to know that. Well, I'm here to share with you a message from God's Word today that reminds us that as we go through life, not just the games we play, not just the projects we have to do, but as we go through life, we have God on our side. And I would like to suggest that when you know that God is on your side, it makes life a lot more enjoyable. It gives you a confidence to be able to face the challenges that you go through and just makes you more assured as you move forward step by step. So let's talk about what it means to have God on our side. Um, The section that we're looking at, and it's printed for you in the service folder that you have, is from Romans chapter 8. It's one of my favorite sections of the Bible. I would say it's, it's a go-to section for me. Maybe you have a go-to section or a verse or a, you know, a section of the Bible that you like to use. And it's really nice to be able to have that and to know where it is in your own personal Bible so that you can always turn back to it quickly or you can share it with other people that need to have that same encouragement. And so it's been a section that I have used, this section from Romans 8, when I've worked with teenagers at St. Croix Lutheran Academy for these last many years. I often love to walk through this with them and just remind them that as they have troubles, as they have difficulties, as they have struggles in this life, there is someone who is on their side. And so I want you to think about that in your own life right now. What are the struggles, what are the troubles What are the difficulties, the problems that are on your heart right now? Now, we don't have time for me to ask every one of you to share the different things that are going on in your heart and in your life. 
And maybe you don't want to share that in front of a group of people and a large group like this, people that you may or may not know that well. But I really do hope that you have someone that you can talk to so that you know you don't have to carry your burdens alone. God doesn't put us in this life so that we have to be on our own. But there's people that care about us. And so even though you might cross paths with someone, they say, hey, how are you today? And you answer quickly, I'm fine. Knowing that you're kind of wearing a mask and you're hiding some different things going on. I hope that you have someone that you can talk to to really share your burdens and troubles with so that they can give you the encouragement that you need. As they give you that encouragement, I hope that one of the things that they can do is direct you to God's word. And one of the sections is in the context, right before the verses we're going to really focus on, it's this verse that's highlighted in yellow on the screen. Romans 8.28, some of you might know it from memory. Or if I said the first couple words, you could probably finish it. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. You know, when we have problems and difficulties and struggles in our lives, one of the questions that we might want to bring to God, in fact, lots of the questions we might want to bring to God, start with the word why. Why do I have to be going through this? Why are bad things happening in my life? Why are bad things happening in the life of my loved ones? Why do we have to struggle so much? But a passage like this is something that God can use to turn our why questions upside down. Instead of thinking about and dwelling on why are bad things happening in my life, God leads us to say, why are these good things happening in my life? And the only reason the good things happen in our life is because of his goodness, his mercy, his wisdom, and the plan that he has for us in our lives. That's highlighted in the next verses that follow this one from 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. I like how that verse lays out the path God has in mind for his people. Sometimes we call it a plan, but sometimes when you say this is God's plan for you, some people think that God's got everything determined, that everything is going to happen according to this plan, and and you can't do anything about it. Uh, But I'd rather talk about it as a path that God has. And when you think about this path that he's, he's called us, he's justified us and glorified us, he leads us along that path through good times and bad times. And his goodness and his mercy, his love and his wisdom kind of weaves it all together in a wonderful tapestry that's going to lead to eternal life in heaven because of his goodness. And when you stop and think about that, the kind of promises that God has given and that he's taken care of for us completely in Jesus as our Savior, it leads you to kind of just think about that and ponder that. And so as we get into our text in the next verse, Paul, the Apostle Paul in this section gives us a number of rhetorical questions that really don't expect you to answer them, but just help you to think about them. And that's a healthy thing to do as you're reading the Bible sometimes, just to slow down and think about each verse and each question and each thought that God has for us, instead of just finishing our time reading and closing the chapter and saying, okay, I did my Bible reading for today. 
But let's take a look at these words together as we uh, look from verse 31. Paul starts out, what then shall we say in response to those things? What are we going to say when we think about and ponder the fact that the eternal God, the creator of the universe, the perfect, righteous, and holy judge to whom everybody in the world has to give an account for who they are and what they've done, when we think about that God loves us and that he wants only what's best for us in eternity, it leaves us speechless. There's, there's really nothing we can say. We simply want to think about the, the wonder of those words, ponder them, and let them sink into our hearts so that we humbly accept them and believe them and trust them as we go forward. About the only thing we can say is in the next verse. If God is for us, who can be against us? If this God of the universe, this Jehovah that we sang about in the song this morning, if he's for us, who can be against us? Nobody really, right? And it says, if God is for us. Is God for us? How do we know? Well, that's the cool thing about the Bible. Many people, when they think about the Bible, think about it as a religious book, much like the religious book that other religions follow as well, where it has a bunch of rules and, and regulations and, and things to do in order to make God or the supreme being happy. But the Bible, as we know it, helps us to know that really the big message of the Bible is that God is for us. And how did he prove that? Look what it says next. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. God did not spare his own son. Take the time to read your Bibles once again and just go to that message and review it over and over and over again. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And Jesus came here and he lived for us. He lived as one of us. He obeyed God's commands perfectly in everything that he did and everything that he didn't do. And then he died for us. He gave up his life to take on himself the punishment we deserve because of our sins. And then he rose again from the dead to prove that he had finished his work for us. And so that's why we can say, if God is for us, yeah, he's for us, because he gave up his own son for us. And then it goes on to say, how will he not, oh, back up just a minute. Back up one more, there you go, thank you. Um, he gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? God's graciously going to give you all things? Really? Do you have everything that you want? You have loads of money and a gorgeous house and cars and boats and all the toys that you'd love to have because that's what can make people happy. At last least, that's what the world tells us. Well, God doesn't say he's going to give us all those things that we want, but he will graciously give us all things that we really need, the things that we really need in our spiritual lives. And so God promises and gives us things like peace. We know that we can be at peace in our hearts because Jesus has set us at peace with the God of the universe. Jesus gives us joy, a joy that can never be taken away from us no matter what the circumstances might be, might be that we experience. The joy that we have deep down in our hearts can carry us through all things. 
God gives us security. The security of knowing that we are loved. Sometimes as we go through life, our closest loved ones, our family members, our friends, the ones that we count on, don't provide us the, kinds of, uh, the kind of love that we, would, it, that we would like to have, that we need to have, but God's love never fails. God's love is unconditional. It's never failing. And so we have security in knowing that we are beloved children of the Heavenly Father. He gives us things like hope. So we always have hope in every situation. There's always light at the end of the tunnel, no matter what darkness we feel around us on the outside, no matter what darkness we see or are experiencing. There's always light at the end of the tunnel. We always have hope in Jesus. And he gives us things like answers to the questions of life, understanding meaning and purpose and what it's all about. Those are the things that God promises and gives us because he has not spared his own son, but he'll also graciously give us all things. Those are things that are are true about who God is and what he's done for us. And then the next verse goes on to say this, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Again, take a moment to think about that question. Who's going to bring any charge against God's people? Well, the devil is. The devil loves to get us to rebel against God, to do the selfish things that we want to do because he says that's what's really going to make us happy. And he gets us to go against what God's will is in our lives because he wants us to be separated from God. And as he succeeds in getting us to do the wrong thing, and we all sin day by day, as he does, then he gets into our head and says, now don't forget, God said you got to be perfect, and you're not. And so he charges us with all kinds of things that make us feel guilty. He's like the prosecuting attorney who goes to God and says, they're guilty, you can't love them. They're sinful, I know, because I got them to sin. And who else is going to bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? ourselves. My own head, my own heart, my own conscience reminds me that the devil's charges are legitimate. I have not done all the things that God wants me to do. I've not avoided the things he wants me to avoid. Too often I've been self-centered. I've been focused on what I want and what I think is most important. And so I got all these things going on in my head. I got the devil whispering in my ear. They're charging me with guilt and sin in God's presence. But even though those things are charging me with guilt, the next words say, but it is God who justifies. God justifies. That word justified is like a courtroom term. A verdict is being pronounced. As the judge pronounces a verdict, whether the criminal is guilty or not guilty, When it says God justifies us, that means that he has already declared us not guilty. The sentence is is no longer there for us to be punished, but instead we've been declared not guilty. That's what it means when it says God justifies. So even though the devil and my own conscience bother me, God, who is all-wise, all-knowing, and he's the judge, he's the one who gets to decide, has declared us not guilty. And so it follows up, who then is the one who condemns? Who then is the one who condemns? It says no one. When I, uh, in the NIV Bible translation, the newer one was done in 2011, they added that word no one in there. I used to read in the older translation, who is, then is the one who condemns? And the next word was Christ Jesus. 
If you read that too fast, it's like, wait a minute, that doesn't fit. But again, it's a rhetorical question to think, who's going to condemn us? And now the answer is in there so that we remember, nobody can condemn us. In fact, in the beginning of this chapter in Romans 8, the first verse says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so because of Jesus, Christ Jesus who died more than that who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us, there's no one who can condemn us anymore. Jesus, our brother, God's son, who is true God himself, is sitting at God's right hand reminding him, we can't punish these people anymore because I have completely paid for all their sins. God is on our side. What a powerful message that is. Not only is it a powerful message for us to think about, though, it's something that can apply to our daily lives. Here's how Paul goes on in our text in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As you think about that list that the Apostle Paul writes there, you can kind of think about his life and his ministry. He faced all these different things. He faced emotional struggles. He faced physical dangers and all kinds of things like that, which could have made him feel that he was being separated from the love of God. And that goes on in our lives as well. Maybe not the same things that the Apostle Paul experienced, but we have difficult things in our lives that tend to make us wonder if we might be at some point separated from the love of God in Christ. Many years ago when I did some peer helpers training with our students at St. Croix, we would do a workshop. And as we did that workshop, we put a question out to the teens and broke them into small groups to to think about how they'd answer this. And we said, what are your top five stressors that you deal with as a teenager? And you can imagine what they listed. Many of the pressures that they faced would be things like dealing with their parents and the high expectations and demands that they felt there, dealing with part-time jobs at the same time that they're being a student, uh, dealing with their grades, dealing with teachers and their expectations, dealing with friends, peer pressure that comes from friends, those kinds of things, even dealing with sports, which was to be a, a release, but oftentimes they felt pressure and stress from being a part of that. And so as they felt those kinds of stressors in their lives, those were things that could lead them to worry and uh, uh, depression, whatever it might be, that would make them question God's love for them. Now, I would have loved to have been able to tell them, well, once you're done being a teenager, then all of your stressors go away. Life becomes easy. (laughs) Yeah, you're chuckling because you know that's not the case. We still have stressors that we deal with day by day by day. And as we deal with those kinds of stressors in our lives, whether they're emotional ones or physical ones, illness that we experience, our loved ones experience, sometimes we're led to question, does God still love us? As Paul said, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Will those things separate us from the love of God in Christ? Here's the answer. No. 
In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Let me highlight that. Go to the next slide. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And so it's really neat to think about all of the stressors, all of the difficulties, all of the problems that we have are not going to separate us from God's love. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Did you notice how he said, in all these things? I love that, because it's not saying after this life is done and you finished, then it'll all be fine. It doesn't say if God removes them from your life, then things will be okay. It says in all these things, we're more than conquerors through Christ. And so as we experience those difficulties and problems, know that Christ has won the victory for us. Jesus is the one, that's why we're victors and conquerors through him who loved us. He's the one who won the victory But we're not just fans or cheerleaders who are thinking, yay, Jesus, way to go. We are ourselves the victors. We are the champions through what Jesus has done for us. Sometimes sports teams that you cheer for, they might celebrate a championship, a Super Bowl, or a World Series championship, an NBA championship, a Stanley Cup, that might be. But as fans, you might celebrate with them, but you're not like the players who have been part of it. But when it comes to the victory that Christ has won for us, not only has he won the victory for us and we stand to cheer, but we are more than conquerors through what Jesus has done for us. That's why we can say, as you go to the next slide, um, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation, none of those things, good or bad that we have in this life, none of them will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. The only thing that can separate us from the love of God is sin. And our sin has been paid for. The Bible tells us that God has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west from us because of what Jesus has done. And so we know that God is on our side. We know that he's forgiven us all of our sins. We know that he's got a promise that he's going to take us to be with him in in heaven forever. And so we can live with him day by day. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Nothing is going to be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's love for us is not just an emotion. It's an action. Jesus really did live here as one of us. He really did die on the cross. He really did rise again from the dead. And nobody's going to go back and change history. And so that's a sure and certain fact. God loves us and he will continue to love us no matter what we experience in our lives. Knowing that, we can have confidence that we can live our lives for him and all that we do. We know that God is on our side. And so we want to live for him and give give him honor in all the things that we think say, and do. May he help us to do that for Jesus' sake. Let's close with prayer. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness, your awesome goodness in winning for us the forgiveness of our sins by sending your son Jesus to be one of us. Help us as we struggle day by day to take the opportunity to talk to one another, but especially to talk to you about our struggles. And help us to know as we face those struggles, we don't have to do it alone. We can remember that nothing is going to be able to separate us from your love for us in Jesus because he really did live for us, die for us, and rise again from the dead. 
Help us to know that as we go through our daily lives, we can be confident. We can live out our lives for you and share you with other people because we know that you, Lord, you are on our side. In Jesus' name, amen.